excited being in church this morning. Oh, I can feel, I can feel the presence of God here this morning. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us when we were praying just before. I just, it came to my mind about how the musicians went out in front and uh, prepared the way. And I just thank you for your your servanthood there this morning. That I just believe that <clears throat> we've changed something in the spiritual realm this morning through our worship, and it's laid the foundation now that as we're going to bring the word of raising opportunities of faith this morning, that that's laid that, that, that foundation that we're just going to come into to God's word this morning. Amen. So um, I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks listening to um, Pastor Steve. He's been pouring out vision um, for us uh, for 2024. Can anyone just tell me what it is? Come on, Pastor. Have you been listening for the last couple of weeks? I'll say that again. Can anyone remind me what the vision is for 2024 at Restore Church Plymouth? Reach out, stretch out. Yeah, amen. So, yeah, we've, um, we've been really hearing about that. And um, I've just been praying and just seeking God for today. And I just believe that God has put a word on my heart for today that as we begin to reach out, stretch out, and step out, um, you know, there's going to be opportunities of great joy. There's going to be opportunities of abundance and blessing and and all of those things, but it's also going to be challenges, difficulties, obstacles. And actually, I just want to spend a bit of time just going through a few points this morning, just as we kind of just prepare ourselves for that journey, so that we're ready to encounter that, we're ready to respond to that. We know that when God's people start to move, the enemy starts to move. He starts to raise the counterattack um, against us, and we've seen this many of times, and, and I want us to be prepared for what God's going to be doing, and I want us to be able to be prepared to counteract what the devil might throw, his tactics to us. You know, he will try to imp impress on us, um, <clears throat> remind us of our limitations, our inadequacies, and, and he will drive us towards a position of fear as we start to move out. And I really want to spend a bit of time this morning just going through, reflecting on a few simple points that enable us as we stretch out um, that we're going to face giants, but we don't need to do that through fear. We can do it through faith. Amen? So if you have your Bibles um, with you this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Numbers 13. It's such an incredible uh, scripture. We're going to, it's a little bit of a text to go through, but I think it will just set the scene for what we're going to cover this morning. So starting at verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit of it. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do this. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked 
the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehuhithnuda. I knew I should have practiced that one. (laughs) Who were among them who had explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Such an incredible scripture here, and I'm just going to spend a bit of time, I'm just going to just work through this this morning. And my first point that I wanted to talk through this morning is that in our journey, as we start to press out, as we start to reach out, stretch out into what God is taking us to, we need to be persistent in faith, not fear. Persistent in faith, not fear. You know, as humans, we worry a lot, don't we? We're always constantly processing fears, aren't we? We are. We just, we just worry a lot. We worry about our families, our jobs, our, our homes, our children, our you know, relationships, everything. Some of them are quite insignificant worries. Some of them are quite big worries. So we spend a lot of time processing worry. And, but I just want to say this morning that whatever size of scale fear is and worries are, fear is not from God. Fear is not from God. Fear is from the enemy. It is not from God. God wants to live, us to live a life of persistent faith. Persistent in our faith, which is completely the opposite to what the enemy wants us to live. The enemy wants us to live a life of fear. Fear. So if we're going to be persistent in our faith, I thought we'd just spend a little bit of time just reminding ourselves what faith is. Always good to do that. Hebrews 11, 1 puts it very simply. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So to have faith is to absolutely put our trust in God. To put our trust in the almighty God, the sovereignty of our God. To have confidence in the promises of our God. That he will protect us, that he will guide us, that he will lead us, that he will love us, all of those things that we put our absolute confidence in God. The complete opposite of fear, I read this in, this is, um, I can't remember which definition this was, but the opposite is completely fear. It says, it's an unpleasant emotion, 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 just want to make that point. It's an emotion, not a reality, it's an emotion or a thought that you have when you are frightened or worried about by something dangerous, painful or bad. That is happening or might happen. <coughs> um, some of you w- will know if you've known us for a while that, um, you know, t- Tony, my husband, last year was miraculously healed um, from bladder cancer. And we praise God for that. <laughs> and um, I- if you've ever had cancer, and some we know quite a few people, actually, we've learned, spoken to a lot of people. But when you've had cancer and you've kind of finished your treatment, you go through this process of, um, they call it surveillance. Surveillance monitoring, Esther, you've probably done something similar, where they scan you regularly, they check you regularly, and um, so we go, you go through this process, and 
I didn't know it was such a thing, but talking to a number of people that we know, there is a thing called scanxiety. <laughs> so scanxiety is like when you go through your, your six-monthly scan or your check or something, you get this anxiousness because you're suddenly, is it going to be back? Is it going to be there again? And you start to go through this kind of, this, this thing called scanxiety. And um, late last year, or in, in November, Tony went for his six-month scan. So he's going through this. And so, and I don't know why, but for some reason, we were sort of experiencing this scanxiety type thing, this level of anxiety and stuff, which is not from God. But for some reason, we found ourselves in this kind of anxious, anxious moments. And... You know, it took ages um, to get the results, quite unusually. They should be faster. It took ages. It was going on for about six weeks or more. And um, we had this random communication from hospitals and doctors, which was really quite confusing and quite worrying. And, and all the time we could feel our level of anxiety rising. We just wanted to get those answers and find out what it is. When they say things to you like, we haven't got the results yet, just because it's taking so long doesn't mean it's bad. Oh, I'm instantly thinking this is going to be bad. So you start to go through this and, um, and you have this kind of um, stuff going through your mind. And just over the New Year period, God gave a word to me from Ecclesiastes 3.14. And it says, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him and not the situation or circumstances that they're in. So I'm resting on this word. So okay, okay, okay so we're just believing in that. And um, so then we go into the new year, and Ch Tony's sort of chasing the hospital. Come on, where's my results? Where's my results? And then, we get a, and then he gets a phone call to say <coughs> from his oncologist, can you come in tomorrow and see me face to face? So we're kind of processing this anxiety and everything else, and you think face to face normally means it's bad news, doesn't it? Because you could just tell me it over the phone. So then our fear and anxiety levels are up here through the roof at this point. So we go, we go in and we see the oncologist and we're, we kind of, we're kind of in there and we sort of go in and, um, well, we didn't actually before then. So that night, we were faced with a kind of choice, faced with a choice. You either allow yourself to be consumed by fear or you decide that you're going to turn your fear into an opportunity of raising faith. And so right in that moment, I began to pray, I began to praise, I began to just speak out the words that we know God has healed him. We know that God doesn't change his mind. When he does something, he doesn't change his mind. That word that I had from Ecclesiastes, what God does is final. No one can take away from that. So I'm starting to pray this and praying that into that situation. And, um, and what was going through my mind the most was... We've been witnessing about this powerful testimony of healing to people that don't know Jesus. We've been, we've been saying this everywhere. I'm not going to go and tell them that God's changed his mind and that suddenly he's, he, the, the cancer's come back or anything. So, so we're going through this when we're deciding to get into a place of faith. And, um, you know, we went to the appointment the next, the next day. And I'm pleased to say that, praise God, the, the bladder is completely clear. In Jesus' name, we say thank you for that. He's had several other tests that have come, you know, from, from that which have confirmed that. So we say, gracious God, thank you, Lord God. But, you know, in the surveillance moment, they, they check other things and just to make sure there's nothing else going on. And so um, th they've been monitoring him for this little nodule in his lung for a couple, for 12 months. And now the doctors, they just want to do something about it. They're saying, we don't quite know where it is. It could be something nasty, could be not, could be something really small. 
but we want to get it out. So Tony's going to have to have an operation, uh, so please do pray for us. But we're full of faith because we have put a foundation of faith, not fear. You know, in those moments, when we were in those height of anxiety, God's used that to teach me something, <laughs> to teach me something that actually when, um, when we're tempted to start letting our anxiety and our worries kind of run away with us, that there is an opportunity in that rather than to continue allowing that worry to overtake us, we can make a conscious decision to start practicing our faith instead. In those moments when we have that, to practice our faith instead. And, you know, I, I feel a real peace because we've laid a foundation of faith. And we believe in God and we've laid that foundation of faith. So, you know, and I'm not saying this morning that, um, you know, why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because I want us to kind of just understand that, we, you know, I'm not just standing here speaking from inexperience. This is like real life stuff. But we all, when we preach and we deliver the word of God, it's from God gives us our, uh, moments of our own experience to share, to raise levels of faith in others. And I want that to, to come across. And I'm not saying that we ignore our problems, because actually problems are real, aren't they? They're real. Um, and we shouldn't be just saying, oh, I'm just going to ignore that and wish it just goes away. There's a, real, there's a real strength in sharing issues and talking about that with each other so that we can pray, we can raise each other's levels of faith, and we can, we can share and bring that in. Um, but actually, the point I'm trying to make is that by obsessing and worrying and allowing that to consume us doesn't do us any good can't do us any good it can't do us any good and so in those moments when fear and anxiety hits you I want to encourage you to seek God to worship God in those moments to focus on God and not the giants of the circumstance that you see before you in the, the, the scripture that we read this morning 10 of the 12 Israelites the scouts that went out 10 of the 12 saw giants they saw problems they saw obstacles. They saw their own inadequacies when they were facing that. Ten of the twelve, they said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs as well. <coughs> their fear brought out a negative characteristic of grumbling. And they also then shared that with everybody else and started spreading that negative, that fear. They spread that negativity. They spread the fear of the obstacles, the fear of the giants, they spread all of that amongst the Israelite people. They wanted to turn and run back to Egypt. Do you know Egypt, we've seen earlier, if you know your Bible, Egypt was a horrible place for the Israelites. Why on earth do you think they would want to turn around and run back to somewhere where it was horrible for them? Why would they want to run back to that? What they allowed their fear of what was before them to tempt them into thinking that the horrors of Egypt would be better. Sometimes I think that we can be a bit like that. We can be tempted to stick where we are or to go back to what we know, to go back to the familiarity of something, even though it might not be a place of goodness, even though it might be a place of pain like the Israelites. They would rather have gone back to Egypt to a place of pain and torture than to face what they had to face in front of them. They were worried. They were so scared by that. And rather than stepping into the promise and going into the, the promised land, they'd rather go back to what was comfortable, what was known, less scary. There's comfort in the familiarity. Only Joshua and Caleb were persistent in their faith. 
They declared that God would lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey and that God would give it to them. You know, as we reach out and stretch out, we need to be persistent in faith, not fear. Before we went to the, the doctor's appointment back in the beginning of January, there was a, there was a scripture that came up on my Bible app, um, and, and it was from the Psalms where it says, You are my God, and your spirit leads me on a firm footing. Leads us on a firm footing. So when we walk in a foundation of faith, we're walking on a firm footing. We're walking on a firm footing. So let's be persistent in faith and not fear. My second point that I wanted just to raise this morning is that um, during this, that God, when we're, when we're stepping out and when we're in challenging situations and, and in blessings as well, that God can bring us into a spacious place, a spacious place. You know, life is full of battles and blessings um, and persistently living and walking by faith doesn't mean that we live in denial, that there's going to be challenges and that there's going to be battles that we face. We don't live in denial from that. But even in those periods of trial and challenges and difficulties, we can experience the love and the goodness of God. Amen? Some challenges we face and all of those things that are around our daily lives. We're busy with our children. We're busy with our works. We're busy with our caring responsibilities. We're busy with our health issues and trying to fix those things. We've got concerns about relationships. And sometimes I think that you can feel like we're squeezed into this tight crevice in a bit of a valley where you can't see out because you're in this kind of bit. You're squeezed into this place. You can't see over the top because you can't, you've got no view. You've got no view. You can't see anything beyond you. And sometimes we can lose sight of God in challenging situations. And I believe that this morning God wants to bring us into a spacious place, a spacious place. I've been reading the book of Job recently, and Job faced significant challenges. It's a really quite hard book to read. It's quite depressing all the way through it until you get to the end. But there's an amazing scripture in verse 36. It says, but those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table, laden with choice food. Does this conjure up something in your mind? And in, in the, also in the book of Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22, there's an identical scripture which says, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, spacious place comes from the Hebrew word ravak, which means to breathe freely, to revive, to have ample room to be refreshed. Anyone need some refreshing here this morning? To have ample room. I can tell you from, from my own experience that God does not leave us in the valley. And I'm not just talking about, doesn't just leave us to, to be in the valley forever. God does not leave us even in the valley. Even in the valley. Um, so I love to walk the coast path. I would say that Tony and I like to walk the coast path, but I think it's probably more me. Um, Tony comes along with me because he has to. <laughs> I have to tempt him with some goodies at the end of it just to kind of spur him on. But you do love it, don't you? You do love it. So we, <laughs> we love to, well, okay, I'm going to say we because that's just nice. We love to walk the coast path. 
And, um, but if anyone of you walk the coast path, it's not particularly flat. So there are moments on the coast path of extreme highs and extreme lows <laughs> when you're walking through it. And, um, and sometimes the path can take you inland and you can lose all sight of the sea. They call it a coast path, but you're nowhere near the sea. You're kind of inland. Sometimes you're in this dark, narrow place in woodland areas where you can't see anything. And then in other times, you know, you, you come out and you're kind of in, in the sea kind of bit. And um, Tony hates hills. I can say this because that is true. He hates hills. And um, he calls them every walk that we go on. He, num he counts the number of mountains mountains right so we don't really have many mountains in the southwest of England but he counts the number of mountains I think they're more like gentle inclines but he counts them as mountains and he kind of numbers them and if it's a walk that we've done several times before he'll go right that's 17 mountains left that's 16 mountains left that's 15 mountains left until we get to the end so I just um so but sometimes there is a climb sometimes there is a climb that takes the effort, it takes you um, a lot of effort to get to the top. And sometimes, you know, you get to the top, though, of this kind of mountain, hill, slightly inclined kind of bit of the coast path, and you get to the top, and you have this beautiful, amazing view out down the coast. You can see everything. The wind is just blowing gently in your face if it's a summer's day. Sometimes on a winter's day, it's a bit more firm. The wind is blowing on your face. You've got this feeling of space. You can see this beautiful kind of landscape. The wind is there, and you can just take rest. You've just walked up. You've climbed. You've put every bit of energy to get to the top of this mountain. And then you can just take breath and just rest in the surroundings that you have. <coughs> but then you look ahead, and coast paths... They do sort of start and finish in different places, but it's not really something you can give up partway through. So you can't really walk to the top of something and go, thank you, I'm in this place right now, and I'm going to stay here. Because you've got to get home at some point. You could stay there all afternoon, but you actually want to, you do need to get home. So then you look ahead and you say, what's coming next? Oh, it's a downward bit. It's a downward bit. So I go, great. Nice bit of relaxation, walking downhill for a few moments, catch your breath, going to do all that. Tony's going, no! Why? Why is he saying no? Because you've got to go back up again afterwards. And he's like saying, it's not very good going down because you've got to go back up again. And you know, that's a little bit about, that's a little bit like, you know, our spiritual lives. Quite often we use the kind of, um, kind of description of mountaintop experiences and valley experiences, and both of which are important for spiritual growth. Both of which are important. The mountaintop experience is one where we have the, the brilliant, tangible presence of God. We can really feel that he's with us all the time, that we're kind of in this kind of moment where everything seems good and we're like flying, we've got that breath. And the valley can sometimes be a place where our faith is tested through trials, through tribulations, through difficulties. However, the valley isn't a place of depression and tough times like some believers believe it is. I don't believe it is. It can feel like that sometimes if we allow our feelings to drive us. But the valley is actually a place where we can grow spiritually, where we can grow and where we can do God's work 
Because God actually does use those moments to come close to us, to teach us, to shape us, to show us that he cares for us, that he's with us in all of those situations. So it's a place of spiritual growth. And if you're feeling constrained by pain this morning or your circumstances or you're facing challenges and difficulties, I know many of us are. And sometimes you might feel like the, you're in this tight, tight crevice. You can't see out. You can't see beyond. I believe God wants to take you and bring you into a spacious place this morning. God wants to remind you of the love he has for you, that his hand is on your life, that he's providing opportunities for you to have this space to breathe freely and to have peace. To breathe freely and to have peace. That peace that is beyond all human knowledge or human comprehension, but to come and take you into a place where you can have that peace. Allow God space to do a work in you, making room for him in your heart. The, the words of Job say, he speaks to them in their affliction. So in those moments of trial, in those moments of challenge, in those moments of difficulty, God will speak to you. God will speak to you in those moments. He's wooing you out of the jaws of distress to a spacious place, free of restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. Blessings. Blessings from God. So many people make the mistake of running from God rather than running to God when things get difficult. Some people just run, like the Israelites, they turn and run back to Egypt. I'll go where it's more comfortable. I'll turn around and run away from God. But God's calling us into greatness. He's calling us into promised land. He's calling us into wonderful things that he has planned for us. So it's not time to turn. When things get difficult, it's not time to turn and run back to Egypt. It's time to step out, to step out in that faith that he's given us. And to step out and say, God, you're going to take me into that spacious place where I can get your blessing, where I can breathe, where I can have space to expand. I've got time with you that I can just seek your face and I can hear your voice speaking to me in my affliction, in those moments of challenge. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, 1 verse 6, it says this, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coastlands, the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants. My last simple point that I wanted to bring this morning was around we have a responsibility to possess and an opportunity to possess what is ours. To possess what is ours. Long before the children of Israel got anywhere near the promised land, God had set it before them. God had promised it. We hear, see here that he had promised it to their, to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They'd promised it long before. 
he had given it to them. It was theirs. It was theirs. It was a promise. However, the Israelites still had to go on the journey. They still had to possess the land. They still had to go through the wilderness. They had to cross the Jordan. They had to march around the city walls of Jericho until they fell. They had to fight the giants, and they had to encounter and fight the inhabitants that they were driving out of that land that were already there. Whilst God had given it to them, they had a part to play to enable them to receive the promise that he had given them. There was a part for them to take possession of it requires some action, some involvement from the people. And God's promise, I believe, is the same for us today, that whatever God has promised in his word, it is already ours. It's ours, but we've got a role to play in order to make that come into a reality. We've got a job to do. He's given us all these things. They're ours, but we've got something to do so we can fully receive what he has promised us. So how do we do our part um, just a few points I, I was just thinking through. So how do we do our, our, our part? So firstly, you can't possess what you don't know exists. You can't possess what you don't know exists. Um, you know, we, we find in the scriptures um, there are so many promises. And it says in the book of Hosea 4 that my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And so there's something that we can do in understanding the word of God and actually really kind of reading, meditating, listening. I, I listen to um, the Bible on my AirPods all the time. Anyone else like listening to the word of God? Quite often fall asleep, but that's good, I think, because I'm sleeping in hearing the word of God. But, uh, you know, listening, meditating, understanding the word of God. Let's not be a people who perish because we don't understand all those promises that God has got for us. We need to understand those. We need to live those scriptures and it's talking the knowledge of God. And when we know the knowledge of God, it makes it so powerful when we're then praying and asking God to deliver his promises for us. That if, we can, if we can understand what the scripture says about it, there's something really powerful about that. So if you're praying for your body to be healed, say, we're praying because, because your word says that by your stripes I am healed. When you're praying for a financial need, you're praying because your word says that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. And when you're, when you're praying, God, will you take away this pain that I feel? You say, because your word says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. These are just a few examples. But actually, it's something really powerful about praying and believing and praying in the knowledge of the word of God. Because your word says God doesn't break his promises. Those promises are there, but we need to understand what those promises are so that we can call them out when we need to. When those things get difficult and when things are challenging for us, we can call out and recall the scripture and what it says in the Bible. God doesn't mind us reminding him of his word. <laughs> but actually, having that knowledge, we've got to know it. The second point of this was to believe um, that we will receive it. Just because the Bible says there's lots of promises doesn't mean we automatically possess it. There is a process of faith involved. There is a process of faith. The book of Hebrews 6 says, do not become lazy, but be like those who through faith and patience will receive what God has promised. You know, it takes faith to possess the promises of God. Believing God in his word 
is a critical part of living a life full of faith. Living a life full of faith is believing his word. And it's not just knowing in your head what the word says. It is believing in your heart what the word says. There are many scholars, academic scholars, that know what the Bible says. Even the devil knows what the Bible says. There are many academic scholars. My brother-in-law, he went to university, he studied theology. He knows what the Bible says, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe the power of it. Knows it. Could probably tell you a load of stuff from it. Doesn't believe it. Doesn't believe it in his heart. Doesn't believe that it has the power to change lives. Doesn't believe in the power of it. We have to learn, we have to know what it is through knowledge, but we also have to believe it in our hearts if we're going to see the promises of God. In the book of Romans, Paul reminds us of the faith of Abraham. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Doubting God or thinking that it's not for you, just robs you of your opportunity to receive the promise of God in your life. But believing through faith that his word is powerful, that his word and that his promise is there, that we're unwavering like Abraham, unwavering that the promise of God, we will see it in our life. We can possess that through faith. The third point on this is that we need to speak the word. Faith is believing and speaking, Amen. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have this same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. In Proverbs 18, it says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's power in what we say. There's power in what we speak out. So instead of praying, God, please heal me declare I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am set free. I call those promises. I speak them out as though they were. I speak those out. Instead of praying that, we speak out. And the fourth point on this is that we need to hold fast. Hold fast. It's through faith and patience that we're going to possess the promises of God through our perseverance, holding fast. The enemy will try to steal the promise by tempting you to quit, to give up. Let it go, let it go. You prayed long enough for that. You prayed long enough for your son to return to Jesus. It's never going to happen. Prayed long enough for my healing. It's just not going to happen. I've been praying for the last 20 years for something and it's still not happened. The enemy's just trying to rob you of the promise of God. God's timing is perfect and we believe the promise. We need to hold fast that God will deliver what he says. What he says in his word is true and it will come to pass. It will come to pass. We need to be persistent in holding on to that. The enemy's tactics, don't forget, is to lead us and to intimidate us into a place of fear, not faith. When Elijah prayed for rain, he sent his servant to go out to the sea and to, to see if there was any sign of rain. 
He sent him out there and the servant came back and said, no, there's no sign of rain. So Elijah said, go and look again. Servant came back. No, still no sign of rain. Elijah said, go and look again. Came back, still no rain. Elijah said, go and look again. Came back, still no rain. Elijah said, go and look again. He came back, still no rain. I think the servant at this point is probably going, what is he on? He's mad. He's mad. I'm tired. Oh, not again. Don't make me go and ask again, please, Elijah. On the seventh time, the seventh time, he reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Perseverance. In Numbers 13, when God told Moses to send 12 men out to spy the land in Canaan, God had given them the land, but they had to go in and they had to possess it in order to receive it. They had to go in and possess it in order to receive it. Ten of the twelve returned with a bad report, full of fear and unbelief. But Joshua and Caleb didn't deny that there were going to be giants in the land, didn't deny any of those things, but they came back with a different spirit. They came back with a spirit that said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we know we can overcome it. They came back with a different spirit. They came back with a spirit of faith that they could overcome it. They had a spirit of perseverance to face the obstacles and that they could go in and they could possess the promised land. A different spirit is required, friends. As we move in, as we reach out, as we stretch out, a different spirit is going to be required. Not the ten, not the spirit of the ten, but the spirit of the two. It says, yeah, there's going to be challenges. Yeah, there's going to be obstacles. Yes, there's giants there. But my God has given it to me, and therefore we can go in and we can possess it. We can possess it because my God has given it to me. So friends, let's not be a people who are, let's be a people not persistent in fear, but in faith. Building a foundation of faith so that in those times when we're tempted to keep worrying about things, we make a conscious decision instead to practice our faith. To practice our faith. When those fear moments come upon us, we practice the faith that God has taught us in that foundation. And let's ask God this morning to bring us into a spacious place where we can breathe and be refreshed so that our valley experiences won't be places of depression and trial and distance from God, but a time where we grow spiritually and we actually do the work of God. You know, we can work and do the work of God in valleys. And let's have the spirit of faith and perseverance like Joshua and Caleb. There were obstacles, but God had laid it before them. And it's time for us to do our part. It's time for us to restore ch church, to recognize our role, to recognize what we need to do. Maybe we're the ones that have to go and march around those city walls. Maybe we're the ones that need to get up out of our comfort zone and step out, facing the giants, but we're the ones that have got to go. God has given this city to us. There are souls in this city that Jesus is going to bring back to himself. 
But we've got a role to do. And even in our personal lives, there's something for us to do to, to, to possess the promises of God in our lives. There's so much that God wants to do in and through you in 2024, particularly as we kickstart this, but in the year after and the year after and the year after. But we've got to possess it. We've got to do our part. We've got to be prepared to be the one that steps out in the middle of adversity, even though it's difficult, even though it's challenging, even though there are giants before me, to step out. Say, God has given it to us. Like the spirit of Caleb and Joshua. What God has given us, we can possess the promises of God in our lives, in this church, in this city, and step out in faith this morning. Amen. Let's be a church. Thank you. Thank you.